But sometimes, more unexpected sounds grab our attention. Like this desert rain frog. Squeaking viral sensation. Eleven million hits and counting. It sounds like a dog toy. But actually, this is the sonorous war cry of a very angry frog. Ferocious. I don't know what it sounds like when you get angry. I know when I get angry, it isn't that cute. We were uh, talking this uh, summer through a series of sermons that are all based on this idea. You're never more like Jesus than when. <laughs> than when you're angry? Anybody? Ah, yes. So what, what is it about that subject that seems a little strange? Well, I think it's because we have a very complex relationship with anger. And... Think about the last time you got angry. Now, how do, you, how, do you, how do you feel about that? For a lot of us, the honest answer would be, I don't feel real good about it. And if you Google anger, you'll find all sorts of interesting things. I mean, I, I noticed that anger is associated with an increased risk of heart attack and stroke. I, but I've also read articles that would suggest that anger in some form is good for you, getting it out. And if we go to the scripture, we might even still be confused because if you pick a lot of individual verses, you'll find some that really seem to suggest that anger isn't good. And yet in other verses, we see that God gets angry. And we're left kind of with this confusion. Or am I the only one? Okay. So I'm working through this this week thinking, okay, this should be a nice little simple message. <laughs> if we had a series, perhaps, but we've only got one. So I thought, what could I say about anger that's most helpful in just a few minutes on a Sunday morning? And fortunately... As is so often the case, right? God's word does have some helpful things that can, we can glean if we, if we look carefully at the right things. So immediately, I want to go to Jesus, right? Because Jesus giving us that divine example in human form should give us some sense of where we can look on the subject. And when I think about Jesus getting angry, immediately I think about the passage that we heard read earlier this morning. Is there anything that seems more, you know, visceral than Jesus in the temple flipping tables over? It sounds like he got really angry. I was fascinated last week when Paul was speaking on the subject of patience. And he also referenced this scripture. If you weren't here, it might be worthwhile to go back and listen because we didn't plan this, but I mean, patience and anger, well, they go together, right? Something to consider. So 
I started looking, you know, at that passage as the one that jumped out at me, thinking about what can we learn about this passage? What can we learn about anger? And there are a few things that we can learn from the story. But you know what I realized pretty quickly as I was reading through the passage? It's probably helpful for us to understand that whole passage isn't even really about anger. In a nutshell, the story that's told, as we heard it read this morning, is, a, is, is an example of Jesus identifying himself as God's son. Claiming the authority of the son of God very early in his ministry to an audience that didn't understand what he was actually talking about. And it's also foreshadowing his sacrificial death that is to come. Again, which his audience didn't understand. But it's Jesus laying the foundation of, you know, the two of the theological tenets, right, of our faith, that his identity, who he was, and what he was going to do. That's actually the point of that story. What we can learn about anger is actually secondary. But it could be helpful if you think about it. What was it that got Jesus so upset? So I was looking into, you know, a little more of the information, and I realized... What was happening in that specific situation was you had a bunch of money changers and people selling animals for sacrifices set up in the temple in an area that was known as the court of the Gentiles. Now, this is transactional commerce kind of stuff that's related to worship that used to happen somewhere outside of the temple. Okay, now it's been moved into this area And what's really fascinating about this is that that area was the only place where a Gentile could go to worship. So what you've got now is you've got this whole stockyard, stinky, smelly, full of animals, full of transaction stuff going on, that is no longer accessible as a place of worship to the Gentiles. That might be one of the things that Jesus was upset about. You have to understand that what was happening transactionally here was that people would travel from great distances in order to be able to worship at the temple. And if they, if they were paying the temple tax, which was a requirement, they had to pay that using the shekel. That was a requirement. So any foreign money that they were bringing had to be exchanged. So now you've got a system set up where you do your money exchange in this place, and it was a situation that was rife for abuse, where people could be ripped off. But it gets worse, because, of course, some people traveling great distances, maybe it would be impractical for them to bring a sacrificial animal with them so they could purchase one while they were there. But I read some sources that even indicate that that the problem was much worse because even if you brought your own animal, the priest could reject it out of hand for some reason and say, no, you need to go buy one of the animals from the court, right? That was going to be acceptable for your sacrifice. And people could charge all sorts of inflated prices. And I think this, again, gets at the heart of what upset Jesus about the situation, is the way that they were set up, they were taking advantage of people, they were cheating them, 
they were coming between them and the, the worship of the Lord. These are examples of what was going on that would indicate what Jesus was royally ticked off about. You getting a picture of what it was that might have made Jesus so angry? But interestingly, as I said before, these are all secondary issues to what was happening. So I was thinking, what about another example of Jesus getting angry? And I found it in a passage that I, I actually have read this so many times and not real, really picked up on the nuance of this, okay? It's found in Mark chapter 3, okay? And it says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Now, let's just pause there for one sec. Here we have Jesus in front of the religious leaders who he knows are just looking for a reason to accuse him of something. And they're watching him carefully. So what does he do? He brings the example that he's going to set right up to the front of the room. And he confronts this head on. He's got everybody's attention. He's got this man. The stage is set. There's tension in the air. And he asks this question. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And this is where it got really interesting. Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was healed. And of course, the religious leaders went away looking for opportunities to kill him. I never realized, I somehow read over that without really picking up this key thing. He looked around in anger. He was angry with them. What was Jesus angry about? Was he angry that they were trying to kill him? Was he angry that they were setting him up? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is angry about is reminiscent of what he was angry about in the temple courts. So you have to remember that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were incredibly detailed rules people who put in place all sorts of rules and restrictions and barriers that were burdensome to people to follow. And these would get in the way of people following God. And the question Jesus poses to them, what's right in this situation? To do good or to do evil? <laughs> do your rules say that I can't do something that's good? And it's not even a choice between do I do a good thing or do I do a bad thing? It's a choice between do I do a good thing or do I do nothing? Does your rule say, say that I have to remain inactive because it's the Sabbath instead of doing this life-giving 
deed. Remember, of course, a disability in this culture would have been like incomprehensibly you know, challenging, right? We did not have the use of that hand in that culture. What could the man have done, right? How could he provide for his family? And yet the rules that the Pharisees had put in place said, no, you cannot do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus is directly challenging this idea. Your rules are more important than the, the love of God, than the mercy of God. That God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Right? Most well-known passage in the, in the Bible, John three sixteen. This is why Jesus came, to demonstrate the love of God. But what we see are people getting in the way of people coming to God, others coming to God, for, for their own reasons, for, their, for, for some in the temple, it looks like it was financially motivated. In the Pharisees, it looks like they made themselves the Lord of the Sabbath. It was their rules and their regulations that were important. They became the arbiters. It wasn't about God and getting close to him. It was about following their rules. That's what Jesus cared about. And because he loves so much, he got angry. And this is where I think it gets incredibly practical for us to realize that anger is the natural response when something that we care about is threatened. Does that make sense? That the more you love something, the more likely you are to become angry if it's threatened. Imagine your children playing on the front, in the front yard out on the lawn somewhere, and someone just comes tearing up the street recklessly at high speed. Do you get angry? Of course. Are you justified in that anger? Absolutely. The problem we tend to likely have here is that we think that there's something inherently wrong with anger. But I was you know, reading a few things, and I got this from Tim Keller. Like, the idea that anger in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with. Keller would suggest there is no emotion in its uncorrupted form is bad. All emotions in their uncorrupted form are good. It's like fruit, Right? All fruit is good in its uncorrupted form. <laughs> a little while back, I grabbed an apple out of the basket, and it was all nice and firm, and I was like, oh, great apple. You know what? <laughs> it was totally rotten inside. In, like, the inside part was just gone. It was disgusting, because corrupted fruit is terrible. <laughs> and so are corrupted emotions. If anger is the natural response when something that we care about is threatened, that's the way God wired us. It's okay. But we have to start asking ourselves a really important question. And this is where it gets, this is where the rubber really hits the road, is you have to analyze your anger. When you start to feel angry, ask yourself, what is it that I care about that's being threatened in this situation? I started thinking about this. Do you know how insightful that is? What is it that I care about that's being threatened? 
And that begins to get us closer to understanding whether or not the anger that we feel is just and righteous or whether it is sinful anger. Um, St. Augustine, he, he talked about having inordinate, inordinate affections. I can hardly say the word, inordinate affections. The idea that we can care about some things too much. What's one thing that you can care about too much? Hmm? Maybe your stuff? Children. Certainly. <laughs> what? Popularity. Popularity. That touches close to one of my spots, which in generally speaking is just caring too much about yourself. My sure. My rights. Now you think about when somebody threatens any of those things, how you might react to them. Now, when it comes to me personally, when it comes to me and mine, like, you know, like, like my, my, my reputation or something that, you know, touches on an area of pride, right? It's like, then all of a sudden, if, if, you, if you start to get angry, and have you ever seen anybody who got disproportionately angry, like to the offense, and you're like, what the heck? What set that off? Maybe it's because what they care about is one of those inordinate affections. You might call it an idol sometimes in some situations. What is that, you know, I'm caring about, what I love the most in this situation that's being threatened has caused me to escalate my anger in a disproportionate way. Is that making sense? So when you're angry because somebody threatened your children... That isn't necessarily a disproportionate anger, is it? That's, a, that's why we're supposed to get angry at certain things. And if we look to Jesus and see what it was that gets angry, G- Jesus got angry about the stuff that he loved, the stuff that he cared about, it puts us closer to the heart of God. The stuff that angers God, the stuff that he cares about. Now, once you've analyzed your anger, if you understand that what, what you're angry about, if you say, you know what, no, this is righteous anger, this is just, we have to remember that it's still possible for us to respond in a sinful way, right? We can still respond, even if the anger is justified, we can still respond in an unhealthy, wrong way to that. So we have to be very careful that we're following the whole counsel of Scripture, right? About how we should treat one another, how we need to behave, to make sure that we're not sinning in our anger. Ephesians in chapter 4, I think it's around verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say don't get angry. It just says, in your anger, do not sin. So we need to make sure that when we find that justifiable anger, that we're not sinning. And I find that Mark 3 gives me a very interesting touch point for this. Because when Jesus got angry as he looked around, what was his response? Did he start yelling at everybody? Smacking people down, flipping tables again? No. This, this might be the only example in Scripture of Jesus committing, uh, Jesus uh, committing, is committing the right word? 
of, of Jesus performing is the word I'm looking for. Performing a miracle while he's angry. Jesus in his anger tells the man, stretch out your hand and be healed. He, he, he performs the miracle. He goes ahead and does that good thing that he is suggesting is the right course of action. And I think the way that that can inform our perspective is powerful. If you think about when you, when you get angry, just, you know, you get upset about things. And it's very, very possible that as followers of Jesus, we should be getting a lot more angry about a lot more stuff. We should be getting angry about human trafficking. We should be getting angry about sexual slavery. We should be more angry about things like abortion. I think we should be more angry about the homeless situation we have here in Peterborough. We should probably be a little bit more angry about the opioid epidemic. There's a whole list of things that we should get angry about. Because I think that God is angry about them. So how do we respond? Look at the example that Jesus sets for us, that thing that he does. It's way too easy for us to get ourselves all worked up over an issue, maybe to be justifiably angry, and then what? Go home, sit at our keyboard, and do a nice social media rant? Well, that felt good. And what did it accomplish? (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Nothing. But the example of Christ is in the moment, the one thing, did Jesus heal everybody? No. Did he fix the entire problem in that moment? No. But he did that one thing that he could do for that one person. And I I suggest to you that that is an example that we can follow. That when we find ourselves motivated by anger, when we find ourselves justly angry about a situation, we can do one good thing for one person. Maybe it's an act of service. And think about how you look. Think about how broadly that applies. I'm not just talking about something in a social realm. I'm talking about in your family. What happens when you get justifiably angry at home? I'm not going to admit to it either. (laughs) When you get think about doing that one good thing in your home that you could do instead of doing what I normally do having a rant, or whatever it is. I would suggest to you that as we look at the title of of, of the sermon this morning, it needs to be amended to be a little more complete. You're never more like Jesus than when you're angry about the right stuff is pretty good. I think if you want to have a more tangible takeaway this morning, you're never more like Jesus than when you're angry about the right stuff and it motivates you to compassionate action. Amen?